This is TC Palmcast. Top Treasure Coast headlines and more from TC Palm, part of the USA Today Network. Good morning and welcome to TC Palmcast. It's Friday, March 22nd, and if you've been paying attention to the last couple episodes, our schedule's been a little wonky. Daisha overtook my podcast earlier this week, so I took it back today, and I brought in one of my favorite people to talk to, outdoors writer Ed Killer. Hi, Ed. Hey, favorite? Boy, yes. I'm honored. <laughs> hey, Hannah, how you doing? Good I'm... long time, no no listener, no talk. I know. That's why I wanted to bring <laughs> yeah. you back in. You've had some really good stories lately. I've missed coming in here and chatting with you. You always teach me something I didn't already know about the outdoors of Florida. So I wanted to come in and just kind of chat for a little bit. Sounds good. So starting earlier this week, you had a story that did really well on TC Palm talking about sharks. And apparently they're always around. They're always there. Whether you know it <laughs> or whether you don't know it, they're always around. So explain this one to people who might have missed well, it. Well, I mean, the, you know, the breaking news headline is, uh, uh, you know, breaking news, sharks live in the water. There's an old thing I always <laughs> tell people, I always, I always tell people, in fact, I probably already said it on the podcast before, but... If you want to know whether there's a shark in the water, what you do is you take your finger mm-hmm. and you put it in the water mm-hmm. and you touch it to your tongue. Now, if it's salty, that means there's <laughs> sharks there. Now, if it's not salty and it's fresh, it means there's alligators there. Yes. So that's all you need to know about coming to Florida. So if you're visiting... There's, just <laughs> or, always assume there's right. a critter of some kind there's in the water. something there that will probably eat you. Yes. It'll, and it, we can get more complicated because there's some sharks that live in fresh water and there's some crocodiles that live in salt water. So, you know, you could, it doesn't really hold true all the time, <laughs> depending well, then, on where you are. <laughs> then you get in the whole thing of, like, the lagoon is brackish water and there's some that come in and there's some uh, that hang out. Crazy. and They come, like, come in and get birth and then leave. Yeah, and you, you've taught right. me too much stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I, don't, I didn't need to know all that information. It's, it's insane. Sometimes it's insane. ignorance is bliss and it comes it is. to this. It's nice to just go out and look at the water and go, oh, how beautiful is it? And look at how nice it is. And I see a dolphin and, oh, isn't that cool? And then, like, you know, someone tells you what's actually living in it. And, what you know, it's just a thing of nightmares after that. So Absolutely. Okay. So the basics of the story is that we're in a shark migration season right now. That's right. Your fall and your springtime are both transition periods. So, you know, things that migrate, they're moving one way or the other, whether it's fall or spring. They're either coming north or going south or moving around or whatever. So we actually have a shark migration that takes place along Florida's coast during the months of January, February, March, usually. Uh, They're coming south during those months, and then around April or so, they start to move back north again and spread out all along the uh, eastern coast of the United States. So the two big species that we really see are blacktip sharks and spinner sharks. Now, spinner sharks, there's been some videos out on those lately for guys that are in boats offshore. They can be very acrobatic. They come leaping out of the water. They're spinning in 360s and 720s as they come out of the water. Sometimes they can jump six, seven, eight feet high, and then they crash back in the water. If you're at the beach and you're new to this area or you're visiting and you look off the beach and you see a bunch of splashing going on about a quarter mile or half mile off the beach and you wonder what that is, those are probably spinner sharks <laughs> jumping around out there. But Blacktip sharks, they, they don't tend to be as acrobatic, although certainly they can jump and have, and people have filmed them jumping. But most of these sharks we're talking about are anywhere from about three to about six feet long. And the blacktip migration is kind of unique in that there's thousands of them at a time that are moving from north to south. They seem to kind of stop around the Boca Raton area. So they'll come down as far as like Palm Beach County, and they kind of settle in down there. The reasons they're coming here is a little bit unknown. Scientists have a theory that they're coming down here to spawn, and but it, it hasn't been you know documented yet. So they're still, they're still trying to unlock some of those mysteries. 
And that's one of the things I really enjoy about the, some of the stories I've been able to write is some of these researchers that I've been able to, to interview over the years, you know, every time I'll ask a question, they'll, half the time they're like, well, we're not sure about that yet. Or we don't know, <laughs> or we, we haven't unlocked that mystery. And that's, it's fascinating to me. It just means there's more stories to tell. There's more things to learn about these wonderful animals and, uh, and their natural habitats and, and to find out more about what's going on. So that's one thing that's pretty cool. Uh, Dr. Steve Kajura, he happens to be a scientist down at Florida Atlantic University based in Boca. He's in, in charge of the uh, Elasmo Branch uh, Research Laboratory that's down there. And uh, what he's been doing for about seven years now is they actually use a fixed-wing air, airplane. They fly uh, north to south from Jupiter Inlet down to Boca Raton Inlet. So it's basically the borders of Palm Beach County. They fly, I think it's 500 feet above the water, and they're like 1,000 feet off the beach. Okay. And they've fixed all these cameras to the wing of the plane so that they videotape and also shoot uh, still photos as they go. And then when they get back to the lab, they take these photos that they've captured, and they try to count up the sharks. And try to they sort of try to figure out what species they are, but of course from that height it's kind of difficult to determine specifically if it's a black tip or a spinner. There's several other sharks that may look similar to them, so they really can't be definitive. Hammerheads they can tell those pretty easily. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes tiger sharks they can identify them pretty easily. And by the way, they do this weekly during the months of January, February, and March. So for about three months or so, they're they're flying these these trips and they're they're getting this data. And uh, what he was able to determine several years ago is that. At no time during those three months, if you're a, a swimmer at the beach in Palm Beach County, at no time are you more than 60 feet away from a shark. And so, you know, the, the take-home point there is that if you kind of compare that to shark bite data from Palm Beach County during the months of January, February, March, it's pretty miraculous that there's almost no bites during mm-hmm. those times. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, sometimes they're provoked. Like, for instance, if a fisherman reels a shark in, he caught on a line, he's trying to remove the hook, and he gets his hand near the mouth and gets bit. That's happened a couple times. We've had, like, TV pieces on the news about that a lot years ago. So those are called provoked attacks. Those are not necessarily things that are unprovoked. It's just when a shark accidentally takes a bite out of somebody by accident. We have so few of those instances that it really is a, a testament to the fact that these sharks, are they're, they're fish-eating sharks. That's all they're looking for. They may or may not be feeding aggressively during those months to begin with. They may have some other purpose in mind or why they're here. But anyway, the whole thing is pretty fascinating. So it's been great to be able to, to learn about these instances. So what we wrote about basically was we just happened to have a guy who lives in Vero Beach, Jason Griffith. He goes by the uh, tag Hydrophilic. He's on uh, social <laughs> media. He's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. And he, he has a drone, and he, he, he captures some pretty unique uh, footage. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. The conditions have to be perfect. It's very difficult to get some of his drone footage. And um, he's been able, he was able to capture some in the last couple of months and kind of compile it together. And it shows surfers at North Jetty up there at Fort Pierce Inlet State Park. And, you know, they're right there in the, in the lineup, right where the waves are breaking. And right underneath them the whole time, there's all these sharks swimming around. So you can see in the clear water, you know, the surfers, and they're, and they're right on top of the sharks. The sharks, a lot of times, are basically right under these guys. And there's no attacks. There's no, you know, interaction. So it's just kind of one of those things. That it's interesting to be able to see it from that perspective because before we had drones, we really didn't have very many photos or videos of these types of perspectives. And we're, we're learning from these types of uh, instances when people are capturing this footage. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this story got a lot of attention on TC Palm's Facebook page. People were tagging their friends or family saying, oh, this is, you know, we saw those sharks at this beach or that beach or, you know, making jokes about, oh, I guess it means I got to stay out of the water. I know I've seen a lot of spinner sharks up in the Fort Pierce area over by like the power plant walking that beach. But are there places around here that you know of where people are going to see them more or less? 
Um, or kind of just the day of the week and yeah, the weather and the yeah, fish and all it, that. Yeah, that's what it has to do with. It has to do with those combination factors. Calmer days are usually better chances to see these because what happens is when the water's calmer, the water is more clear. And what happens is when it's clear, the bait fish or other schooling fish that these sharks are feeding on tend to move closer to shore. Mm-hmm. When the water's close to shore or kind of rough and it's kicking up the bottom and making things kind of murky, that spooks the bait fish. And the bait fish tend to hold off of the beach far enough to be out of that murky water. That tends to take them at a farther distance from any beachgoers or anybody at the inlet jetty. So inlets are key points because they offer good observational opportunities. But pretty much any of our beaches, I've, I've seen them at uh, pretty much every beach I've been to during this time of year, one time or another. But usually it's when those conditions are calmer and the sharks are closer to shore and you, you tend to notice them more uh, regularly. And uh, when they're in a feeding period, you know, they're coming down underneath the school or swim under the school and then... The school tends to pull to the surface of the water and try to ball up so it looks like a larger single organism in safety and numbers. So the sharks are coming up through that school, and that's how they're, they're jumping out of the water and spinning around. That's one theory, at least. There may be other theories where they're trying to deal with parasites or maybe something else is going on. But that's where when, when anglers are out there and they see these schools of bait fish and they see the, the spinner sharks, that's usually they're occurring together. So um, that's usually what happens there. But, yeah, you can see them. The calmer days are better. So Easter, we're getting some east winds this week. It's going to be a little difficult. It's going to chop up the shoreline. So you may not be able to see them for four or five days until things calm down again. Okay. So I definitely want people to be careful, but they are really cool to watch. I will say that. Yeah, that's the one thing too. Is that, you know what we're what we're talking about here with these instances is that like when the water's clear, the sharks they have pretty good eyesight, and so they're not going to feed on human feet or mm-hmm. fingers, you know. Uh, but when things are murky. That's when those sharks are coming into the murky water. Then they're shifting over to using other sensory uh, devices to feed. So they're not using eyesight anymore. They're using their senses that they can feel vibrations in the water and that kind of stuff. And that's what leads to those bites. Okay. Well, it is very interesting to read about and follow. No matter which way you fall on it, if you think they're cool or you want to stay out of the water, either way, they're always very interesting to, to yeah. read about. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, a story that you had that post on TC Palm this morning is uh, reminding everybody that the Palm Beach Boat Show is next week. That's right. So this will be the last like big boat show for South Florida for the season, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to disrespect the Vero Beach Spring Boat Show. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> which has uh, been going on I think since uh, Columbus landed in uh, in the Bahamas there, <laughs> 1492. I had a joke with Brian Cunningham, who uh, owns a dealership there, Vero Marine Center, and they put on the Vero Beach Boat Show every year. That uh, you know, he 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 sold uh, Christopher Columbus to the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria. You know, that's how long he's been in business. But anyway, the um, but that'll take place in April, usually right around Easter weekend is usually when they have that. Not on Easter weekend, but maybe I think the week before or maybe the week after. We'll have that date in the story, which I've yes. yet to write. But anyway, Palm Beach Boat Show will take place March 28th through March 31st. It's down there right along Flagler Drive, uh, right there in the heart of downtown West Palm, right where Sunfest is and all the other events that they take. They do down, all the marathons and all the other stuff mm-hmm. that they do down there. So if you've gone down there for any of those big events, it's, you know, Ground Central right there, same place. And they've been doing it about 30, I think it's 30 years or so, maybe maybe a little longer. But this is a great opportunity. This is where dealers are, tend to be more motivated to try to move their inventory. So if they've got anything left over from 2018, they're trying to move that. If they've got some 2019 stuff that they got early in the last season, they're motivated to move that. And there's a very wide selection. I always tend to classify the these three boat shows together. 
the Stewart Boat Show, which takes place in January, the Miami Boat Show in February, and the Palm Beach Boat Show, which takes place at the end of March. They're similar in nature in types of boats they have to offer. Like if you go to the Palm Beach Boat Show next week, you can see you can see a mega yacht, you know, or super yacht. You can see a you know two hundred million dollar boat that's sitting there. Of course, you, know, you got to take your shoes off. Of but, course. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know they'll have several. The brokers will have several of those available. Um, and there's some really high-end cruisers because, of course, the Palm Beach market is a very high-end boating market. And you can see that any day you go to Flagler Drive that's not a boat show weekend, you can go drive those marinas right there. You can see them right there. It's, you know, some of the captains of industry keep their boats down there. So, But you can find those center consoles. You can find those bay boats. You can find the pontoon boats. You can find the kind of boats that we, to normal people, tend to use on weekends around Treasure Coast. Mm-hmm. So. That's got the wide array from any, whether you want to be like kind of like a hardcore fisherman who likes to, you know, spend a week in the Bahamas on your boat, or um, if you're just kind of like a weekend sandbar person and take the family and the dogs out of the sandbar, or uh, your pigs in some cases. Yep. Uh, you know, so if, if you're in that market, they're going to have those types of selections that are available. Plus, if you're also, even if you're into like just kayaking or paddleboarding or into other kinds of marine accessories and other kinds of water type uh, activities, they're going to have a wide array of those that there as well. Plus, there's plenty of knowledge to gain there. You're going to have uh, fishing seminars for adults. They'll show you actually like you know, rigging and tackle tips and techniques from, you know, from some of the experts in the, in the industry. But there's also going to be free kids fishing clinics. So things where the kids will walk away with something in their hand when they're done. You know, free rods and reels and tackle boxes and stuff. And Don Dingman from Hook the Future, he's a, one of the best I've ever seen that deals with these kids clinics. He's done these for years. And I've known him, I've fished with him, known him for really well. And uh, he's going to be down there for this weekend doing that as well. So if you got kids and you just want to you want something to keep them busy for an hour, it's a good place to go and hang out with them, and they'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So there's a, there's a whole array of things to do down there, and we'll have all that in the story. So All right. I will definitely link to that so people can see what is actually going on next weekend, and they can plan it out in advance. So one last story I want to talk to you about before I let you go is you were telling me earlier about a viral video that has popped up from an incident that happened up in Sebastian, I believe it was. Yeah, this is this is one of those things, and I'm forgive my cynicism, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, social media is good and bad in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of those things that's going to fall somewhere on one end of the spectrum or the other by the time it's all said and done. But apparently, and, and most people who are, if you're listening to this, you may have already heard about it or seen it pop up in your Facebook news feed. But um, an angler was was wade fishing last week in the Sebastian area. There's a spot, if you can think about this, if you know the area, it's just south of Sebastian Inlet State Park, and it's on the Indian River Lagoon side of this. And there's uh, several houses right there. They're really close to A1A because the land is very narrow right there. So you've got the houses on the beach on A1A, then you have A1A, and then right next to A1A, literally in the west side of A1A, you've got a small, narrow piece of grass, and then you have some docks. Well, this angler had parked up the road and had walked his way down to where the docks were, and was casting under the docks. And one of the homeowners came out on, across the street on her dock and started yelling at him, giving him the business, wanting him to get away from the dock. Well, he's he's on foot, so he's not going to be able to move very fast. But he felt like he was in the right. He's like, she doesn't own the water, and she's saying she does. She owns the land under the, under the water and under the dock. And <laughs> So anyway, a dispute ensued, and then she took out a hose and sprayed him, tried to spray near him. But the whole thing, of course, was recorded on video. Of course it was. So And then posted on Facebook like soon afterwards. Typical backlash of people who get angry about things. 
Someone started up this thing called Fish Joyce's Dock. The woman in question, I guess her name is Joyce, and they've started this an event on Facebook for Saturday, March 23rd at 9 a.m. Oh, no. For people to come out there, and they, they're encouraging people to take their boats and to anchor just off of where the dock is, I guess, in a means of peaceful protest. I look at it as, as a means of peaceful provocation is what it, mm-hmm. it's going to turn out to be. So. I don't know what her response is going to be. Somehow, already, this one incident has already sparked a call to the Indy River County Sheriff's Office. They've uh, at least written up an incident report on the whole matter. Uh-oh. I don't know if there's charges or anybody did anything illegal, you know, either Joyce or the fishermen. I'm not sure. But it's one of those things that just is it's a little out of hand. Mm-hmm. I always get my hackles up on these things because confrontations, they start off in one place. But very often they spin out of control and they end up somewhere very different by the end. And I see this as being one of those potential possibilities where who knows what could happen. You know, there could be several scenarios that come out of this that could be regretful for people. So I don't know what's going to take place. I plan to be there because as a member of the media, I think that uh, my readers will be interested to know what happens or what transpires. You know, in my column on Sunday, I plan to try to explain a little bit as to who does own the water. Mm -hmm. Because this incident... While it's the latest incident that's spring up in this area, it certainly isn't the first. We've had these things go on for years and years in various different kinds of scenarios. I know some anglers I know very well that have these very vivid stories of having confrontations and you know near docks with people. And whenever that happens, people tend to the first reaction a lot of times is you tend to stand your ground. Mm-hmm. And that just adds fuel to the fire. Instead of just going, Hey, you know, it's a big river, I'll go some I'll fish somewhere else, no big deal. But that's, you know, that's not what happens. We typically start to argue, usually with very little knowledge and ammunition of what we're arguing about. Oh, you don't own this. I I can fish wherever I want. You know, that comes out. So you end up with this conflict. And no one really knows who is actually in the right until you get people involved. So anyway, I'm I'm a little concerned about this whole situation. And I kind of wish it didn't go viral. And I kind of wish it had been different. We've had some weird things like this with fishing in the last couple of years. We have this, you know, the one guy walks around, he's fully armed because you mm-hmm. know, you're allowed to carry guns when you go fishing. And that's his, you know, I'm like thinking, boy, is that guy going to be there? You know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if some of these people should show up or what's going to mm-hmm. happen. So, you know, if somebody shows up and they, they want to make this thing go even more viral, they bring something with them that makes a problem. So anyway, it just, it's, it's going to be interesting. We're going to report on it and we're going to see where it goes. Yeah, I know we've had some stories over the years, since I've been here at least, of, you know, some boat cuts some fisherman's line, and that leads to a fist fight, which leads to somebody pulling a weapon. You know what? I, I, it's a great point. I totally forgot about that. Jensen Causeway, we had two incidents a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and the sheriff's department couldn't bring charges in either of those cases because both of them turned into a situation where the one guy felt he was threatened, mm-hmm. and the other guy felt he was standing his ground. And so the Sheriff Snyder said, there's nothing we can do about it. Meanwhile, this guy's got a bullet hole in him. I mean, we've, we've all been in situations where bad decisions were made and people cut your line or caught, cast over you or, you know, they do something that's ethically stupid. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but once it gets to that point, I, I mean, I don't know if just my presence, I'm a big guy. If I'm standing there and I say something to somebody because I didn't like the way he cast his lure over my line, is he going to pull a gun because he's mm-hmm. afraid of me, you know? And then what if he guns me down and then he's justified in the process because the third party, when the cop shows up, says, well, uh, he's a big guy. You know? Maybe he was, maybe he said something threatening. I don't know. You know, so, you know, the, the guy with the gun sitting there going, oh, he said something threatening to me. I, I'd shot him. Yeah. So, you know, you never know. You never know where this stuff ends up. So it's, it's alarming. And uh, we're going to see what happens this weekend.
I would also think that things like this are going to happen more often because as the population of Florida continues to grow, you're going to have what used to be public lands or just empty lands are now being developed. And so what used to be a place that somebody could go fish, they fish their entire life. Maybe they can't fish there anymore, but they don't know that. Or you've got more boats, you've got more people paddle boating, and you've got more people on kayaks. The waters are getting more crowded. So I'm wondering if this is going to continue to escalate and you continue know, to happen. That's an excellent point because um, there was one study done by, by a group that said that I think it was by the year 2050, they anticipate that the state of Florida is going to have 30 million residents in it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it would probably make us like, close to, if not the second most populated state in the country. And we don't have the second most amount of land. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we know that 85% of those people want to live within 15 miles of the coast, of the beach. So that's going to happen. The group that did the study realized that there's going to have to be 7 million more acres of land developed into urban use or, or suburban use, you know, because we're like at 21, 22 million right now. So to house the next 8, 9 million people, we're going to need another 7 million uh, acres of land. Where's that going to come from? Mm-hmm. It's, got, it's going to come from farmland and ag. It's going to come from natural lands that end up being sold by counties or municipalities that realize we need to develop this because we need to generate cash or whatever we got to do you know so you're going to have these like these sailfish park mess and steward you're going to have these kind of things popping up just like you said and you will have a density growth that goes on that's going to impact our, our not only our space but our activities that we're choosing to do and you're absolutely right i mean we're going to fill up our boat ramps one day our boat mm-hmm. ramp parking lots will be overflowing do we have enough to go 10 more years? We don't have enough waterfront property left over. It's all being developed. In fact, on the west coast of Florida right now, they're really suffering from that. Developers are buying the marinas, closing the marina down, chasing all the boats out of there, tearing all the docks out, and building condos. Really? Because it's it's happening. It's been happening in Collier County for years. So that's wow. a, that's like the, that's like your big issue in Naples. People are losing public access to the waterfront because of development, and uh, we're going to start seeing a lot more of that taking place over here. Down here in the Treasure Coast, we're filling up fast, and we're going to have a lot more conflicts like this in different kinds of ways. You're right. So hopefully the one this weekend, the peaceful protest stays peaceful and nothing Peace. bad happens. But I'm sure people can follow you on Twitter to see what actually goes down on oh, Saturday. Yeah. We'll be tweeting. Yeah. So give me your Twitter handle one more time. It's at uh, TCPalmEKiller. That's on Twitter and Instagram also, so both of those. And then you can follow me on Facebook at EdKiller. So, uh, but that, that's the best way to find. So we'll have stuff going up live as stuff's going on, little videos. Of course, that's like a bad area for my cell phone. So I don't know <laughs> how much is going to go up right away, but we're going to try. You can, maybe you can borrow the MiFi we've got in the background there, there you so go. you have some yeah. extra signal. But we will keep up with what is going on in Ed's world of outdoors and we'll link to all of his latest stories so you guys can catch up. Ed, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Anna. This is TC Palmcast. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm the executive producer, Daisha Johnson. This podcast is also produced by Hannah Schwab and Karen Schaefer. The editor is Tim Thorson. Interviews and reporting is done by TC Palm staff. You can email us at tcpalmcast at tcpalm.com.